Coaching Inside the Box. A youth soccer coaching podcast. A Brit, a Brazilian, and an American discuss culture and environment and the impact it has on youth development. Can you coach inside the box? Anything else that we want to add? Andy, you've got a few note cards. I, I, I might add, Bo gets to see this firsthand, right? Andy always has his note cards in front of him. This time, Andy, you figured out how to use the color printer because your pictures that you... That's by mistake. Printed. I just wasted color ink. <laughs> <laughs> Technology. It's amazing stuff. Yeah, we've already covered that one, but uh, the, you know, I wanted to read this one to, to everybody just to hammer home the point. Um, in, so this is comparing what, you know, our indoor environment with the boards, with the rebound surfaces, how the walls stay in play, how there's more shots, how there's, you know, more goalkeeper opportunities to make saves, etc., etc. Um, in under 13 boys futsal, the ball was in play for an average of 6 minutes and 49 seconds and out of play for an average of 3 minutes and 11 seconds of each 10-minute period we assessed. For Legends 4v4, the ball is in play for the whole 10 minutes that's 30 to 40% loss of time and development in futsal versus on our boarded fields. You know, and of course, that's not taken into account you know, a futsal ball. You know, so we have got such a massively dynamic environment here where the repetition is so absolutely outrageously off of the charts. And once again, it's about the environment. You know, not just what you do in the environment, it's about the environment. So mm -hmm. having boarded fields, you know, where the ball comes back off the boards, you take another shot and another shot and another shot is ap absolutely massive. So in futsal, the age group studied average seven shots every 10 minutes. Jeez. In Legends 4 versus 4, the same age groups, this is in you know, our facilities with the boarded fields average 51.5 shots every 10 minutes. Seven shots versus 51.5. That's a 700 to 800% better shooting training environment. Now, the goal is on the other end of those shots. Seven to 800% better goalkeeping training environment in our facilities if we turn these futsal stats around from shooting into goalkeeping challenges, sure, sure. if that makes sense. Yep. And that is absolutely ridiculously beneficial for goalkeepers. You know, you're getting 700 to 800% more opportunity to develop your diving saves, your reaction saves, your one-on-one -on -one saves, your perception in the clutch. Now, everything's happening really fast in front of goal. We watch the EPL on a weekly basis. So many of the shots are under pressure in front of goal. It's happening really fast. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. right. So these type of shots transfer into saving the 30-yard shot because everything that's happening 30 yards out gives you way more reaction time, way more time to read the flight of the ball to make that diving save. So if you can do these things in the clutch on these tiny fields where you're facing what is basically a human pinball mm -hmm. type environment, you can save the outdoor shots. 10 times easier, 20 times easier. Sure. Well, I, you know, I think I found myself a little less than some guys being screened by my own player, by an opposing player. Like, I'm always trying to find the ball, you know? Like, that's one thing that you always had to do in the one-on-ones is, like, look up, find the next one. Where's the ball coming from? Your peripheral, all those things are just, like, a big part of being really great at 
these one-on-one. I, I guess I could have came in and realized I was going to give up a bunch of goals and kind of half-ass it, but I just, I not really like that. So I just took it way too seriously. And you uh, took it personal. Yeah, I did. I didn't want to give up any goals, which is ridiculous. You're going to give up, a, you know, 50 yeah. in one of these sessions. Yeah. But, you know, I wanted to give up zero. That's just one doesn't mean yeah. I'm going to do it. I definitely wanted to. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, those things are irreplaceable when it comes to reaction time saves and things like that. You know, a lot of people think that these aren't coachable things, but in reality, they they are. It just takes a long time to get there. Uh, and these are built over extremely long periods of time. I mean, I'm kind of blessed with, you know, not breaking a whole lot of glass where it worked because I still got pretty good hands, you know. So thanks, Andy. You saved me money. <laughs> Finally. Hey, what, Instead what of costing that? me money. What, what was that Tom Cruise movie that, uh, you know. Oh, Cocktail. Yeah, yeah, Cocktail. Yeah, yeah. Bo is the, you know, you know, he can do all that sort of stuff. with the Oh, yeah, yeah. Real flair tender. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, not anymore. I tell you, it's uh, stirring a drink makes my arm, my shoulder stiff anymore. It's pretty bad, but. Uh, but yeah, I, luckily I got young ones uh, underneath me here to, to make me look good. So, so shaking the drinks for me. One of, one of the <laughs> things I, I don't think we've given enough time and attention to is the foot skill part of the goalkeeping. Sure. And, and uh, so I'm, I'm going to go back to, and Bo, you know, you were really good with your feet. You know, you, you could, under pressure, you know, all those national indoor championships that we won, mm-hmm. you know, time and again, you would bring the ball out under pressure and you'd actually do moves on the opposing forward, you know, to, you know, make them give you the space so you could get the ball to the feet of your defender. Well, this was an absolute classic. So I had a goalkeeper that played for me called Blair Quinn. And Blair played for the Kansas City Attack professionally. And he went on and played for, I think it was Sacramento in the professional league out west. And he sent me a clip. This was many moons ago. You know. I think he's the women's coach at Iowa now? Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. he's parlayed, you know, his youth career. You know, as both, you know, we trained, he, he used to split time in goal with Stuart Harold. So Stuart and Blair used to play half their time on the field as well as half their time in the goal. And he went on and played indoor professional goalkeeping. And, um, and he's parlayed that into, he's now a university coach at the University of Iowa with Dave Deliani as the head coach and Blake as the assistant, uh, Blair as the assistant coach. And in one of the games, he sent me this clip, and the forward is coming after him, you know, just you know, rabidly, you know, and cool as a cucumber, Blair absolutely maradonaed him into hell, you know, just destroyed him with a maradona turn. And Blair was all on his own, last man, no options for a pass, you know, but rather than kick it out of the arena, he maradona turned this guy and just destroyed him completely. And the crowd went absolutely nuts. <laughs> you know, when, when do you see a goalkeeper, last man, yeah, you, know, did. you know, doing a move that, you know, anybody in their right mind would only do in the attacking third, yeah. you know. And, uh, but all of my goalkeepers, Bo, you had that ability. You know, I remember Zach Brennan, you know, who, um, who was absolutely massive. Was he 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, something like that? Yeah, and he was a forward when he joined me. You know, we used to call him Breakaway Brennan because, you know, he, he was a striker. You know, and eventually we put him in goal because, you know, he was, he was like the Jolly Green Giant. He was huge, you know. And so we, start, we turned him into a goalkeeper, and he went on and played NCAA Division One. And like Bo, another one that I'm absolutely convinced should have played professionally. And, uh, but Zach was, he had the most amazing Maradona turn 
because his legs were so long that Maradona turn had like an eight foot radius on it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the defender couldn't get near it. I remember playing uh, when he worked for the club for a bit. I, we had a men's team at an All-American and I remember playing with, with Zach and he was like, I'm not playing goalie. And he played in the field and his Maradona was quite good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember playing high school basketball with this, this kid. I, I'm, you know, I'm 6'1", 6'2". I'm not the biggest guy. Uh, big enough, I guess, for a goalkeeper, but not the guy you play at the five spot in high school <laughs> basketball, but in the summer leagues, like I ended up with, like we were playing this four guard set and I was the center. We were a small team. And this kid I had to play in the post had to have been 350. I mean, and he couldn't have been taller. He may have been shorter than me and it was impossible to guard. <laughs> Just impossible. I mean, he one drop step. And, like, I, I'm not getting around him. Like, he just rolls around me. He drips, <laughs> drops a shoulder, and he's just on the other side of me suddenly, this huge man. You know? I mean, like, he just worked me all day long. I hacked the crap out of him half the day. I think I fouled out that game. And I just couldn't believe that <laughs> this the guy get a break. barely get up and down the floor was just working me all over in the post and just making me look like an idiot. But, yeah, man, I mean, it's just sometimes it's the, the craziest people you don't you know, they kind of sneak up on you a little bit. Apparently, Zach and that Zach eight-foot that. Maradona turn. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. So there's, there's another part of the goalkeeping art that I don't think we've covered that, that our philosophy, you know, just it breeds exceptionalism. And, and that's the ability to instantly assess variables and choose the priority. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that, that I think happened, uh, you know, autonomically to you and the other goalkeepers in the club, because everyone that stayed with us and wanted a college scholarship as a goalkeeper has received one. And I joke not, you know, this is, a, you know, a proud history of the club. Every single one of our keepers that stayed with it and graduated and wanted a scholarship ended up going to college with a scholarship. You know, so it's, it's one of the most amazing things, you know, 100% through the years of the goalies that I've coached have gone on with a scholarship to college. So, so. Well, thanks for making me feel real special. <laughs> well, you were about 11th on the list. There's a lot of goalies there. Yeah, but n- none of them intimidated me, bud. None of them intimidated me. Well, thank you. Thank you, Andrew. I appreciate that. Yep. I'll always have that one. I mean, but, put it on a t-shirt. But their ability, <laughs> their, their ability to assess variables and options and come up with the right option selection decision instantly under pressure had been honed in the competitive cauldron for thousands of hours, you know, with, you know, and this, this is like when you go and watch one of these great video game players and they can make micro analysis decisions, you know, and like Fortnite, and you know, they can win these gaming competitions because they have a perception ability which is off the charts, unbelievable compared to the guy in the street. Because they've lived behind that, you know, that, that console, you know, and they've, they've fought thousands of hours of video games. Well, what you did with our program is you fought thousands of hours of, of the indoor soccer version of a video game in training, which made the outdoor game so much easier because everything happened in slow motion mm-hmm. in your mind in the outdoor game. And that's what I believe made you and every other keeper that played for me exceptionally good. Mm-hmm. compared to other keepers that played on other teams and other clubs that didn't train their keepers this way. Make yeah. sense? No, absolutely. And I, you know, I think that was a huge help for me coming up is that, you know, guys uh, ahead of me like Tim Baum and Matt Cornforth and guys that were older than I were, they were 
really awesome to play with, which is great. And, you know, not a lot when Matt made that transition into the field and I got to play with the older team a little more often. I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun. I, I loved it. Uh, and it really kind of challenged me to play outside of my comfort zone really, really quickly. Trying to yell at a bunch of guys who were older than you is really kind of intimidating, I guess is the word. Right, Andrew? Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it was uh, when you're, especially before you get to like a high school level or whatever else, these are the guys that you looked up to, that we, we stay late and watch them play after we were done, you know? And uh, being able to play, I mean, I remember one tournament, they were in a real pickle and, you know, Andy had me play with the Rockers, which was like, a, you know, they were two or three years older than our team. And I was just like, what are you doing? Are you trying to kill me? You know, uh, I'm the goalkeeper. <laughs> it's like I'm tiny compared to these guys, but it was, you know, those types of experiences that made me feel quite comfortable just jumping in wherever and just playing. You know, and I think that, you know, even when it came down to in a, in a professional environment, being able to turn to, you know, yell at Chris Henderson for not staying inside a guy or whatever. And it's like that guy has more, you know, U.S. caps than I ever will. But I got to yell at his ass because he let this guy beat him inside, which is insane. You know, you got to force him wide. And so I let him have it, you know, and it's just uh, it's one of those things that, you know, it's uh, it's kind of crazy. But you feel a lot more comfortable in those aspects when you kind of get pushed into those uncomfortable moments earlier on. It's leadership. It makes it, yeah, right. it, it so makes it feel... that leadership capability. Well, so you, you used a name that, uh, you know, and I like to use him as an example, Matt Cornforth, and that's mm -hmm. important. Why? Because as you just said, Matt made the transition from goalkeeper into field player mm -hmm. at about age 16. Mm -hmm. You know, and this was something that had never really happened before. Uh, it could have happened... And Matt went on to play college as a field player after making the transition from goalkeeper to the field. And he won a national championship while he was playing field in college. How many goalkeepers do that? I haven't heard of another one. But that's the other advantage of our program because we demand that every single player become so good with their feet that even the goalkeeper can make a transition into a field player and go on and play at the highest level. Yeah, I'd still, on my college team, if you were to sit there and be like, 70, 70 yards on a dime, who is it? It was me. It was me. Yeah. Like, nobody would hit that ball like I could. Yeah. And, I mean, the, those are, you know, this stuff that we did all the time, just constantly playing with your feet, left foot, I felt pretty comfortable with, compared to most goalkeepers, very comfortable. Uh, but, you know, those types of things that, and obviously growing up in an environment where they started taking away the back pass and things like that. I mean, I'm, I'm so old that, that these things were real. You could just pass it back to the goalkeeper. They could pick it up. Seriously, guys, this is real. Oh, I remember uh, those things. <laughs> <laughs> and the game was so ungodly slow. It was hilarious. But, I mean, you know, l luckily I was kind of forced into, uh, or the game grew into an environment that I felt more comfortable than than vastly the, the majority of other goalkeepers that were trying to kind of, being ushered into that same era. And it's largely because of what we were doing all the time. And yeah, right. I mean, we started every practice, even as a goalkeeper, I started with, with a ball at my feet and we were doing all sorts of stuff uh, individually, but as teams or whatever. Uh, but yeah, I, I was more than comfortable with the ball at my feet. And, and let me read this because I think this, you know, just about sums it up. And this is gonna describe the other side of this coin. Ready? Unfortunately for most goalies, traditional goalkeeper training programs set up artificial situations where the keeper has an unrealistic amount of time to prepare for making the save, 
as opposed to realistic situations that emulate the conditions found in the crowded penalty area on match day. Because traditional keeper training contains little real game-like pressure, it should be no surprise when a keeper with great technique and effectiveness in the artificial and unrealistic practice environment can't make an easier save in the competitive cauldron of the real game. And that's the problem with most of our goalkeeper training. You have to have a competitive cauldron that is harder than the real game in practice if you're going to develop incredible goalkeepers. And I've never seen it in any other program than the Legends program. Never. Yeah, I always knew that when we do our goalkeeper-specific stuff that it was going to be a breeze compared to our usual practices. It might be physically difficult at times, but it wasn't mentally difficult. Physically, it was Decision much making. easier even, I thought, you know, because we were constantly – our practices moved at a – you know, Andy was running those 90-second shifts and in indoor teams, and we were doing all sorts of crazy stuff where it was like you'd break for water for three minutes and back on the field – so this economy stuff, yeah, I get it. I mean, he was pretty uh, uh, insane about this stuff, uh, pushing the envelope, especially when it came to the indoor training, why we won those five national championships is running these crazy short lines. They were really run more like a hockey team than like a, you know, a soccer team was running, but even faster than your traditional uh, hockey or soccer team would do. But yeah, 90 minutes, 90 seconds to two minutes were the longest shifts we'd run, and we were... You know, we played 15 guys, you know, I mean, we, we weren't out there playing like eight or nine. We go out there and play everybody, but they, we'd be coming at you, you know, and that's one of the things that, you know, uh, I think is always kind of unique to our training, uh, our way of training and the way of Andy's thinking that really kind of helped propel us or prepare us to be in a better position or at least be more comfortable in these uncomfortable positions. And that's, that's a big part of it is just feeling like when most people feel like everything is overwhelming, you're able to slow it down. You're able to stay on top of it. Everything's going to be fine. You know, it's just staying calm and all that stuff. These things I preach to my kids all the time, just climbing on, the, you know, the jungle gym are things that we, you know, were forced to, you know, have to internalize very, very early and something that we built on, on top of that. And so, you know, I still think those pressure-filled moments are when I perform my best still to this day, uh, you know, uh, and I think a large part of that is due to the one-on-one -on -one training and the things that we did, you know, with the Legends Club. Right. And, and, you know, that was, you know, what you said about the way in which we played the indoor game was how we played the outdoor game as well. But it wasn't quite so obvious outdoors, mm -hmm. bigger field, lots more space. But when we got the ball, we went right down the opponent's throat every single time. Mm -hmm. You know, it relentlessly forward, no retreat, you know, and it was everybody giving everything, every second of every minute of every shift. Well, I think a big part too is, you know, we, we were taught early that we played out of the back. So, you know, I wasn't back there just punting the ball every time. It was, right. we were expected to keep possession. So, you know, if, if I could, so throwing was a big part of the game for me when a lot of other kids would just push everybody forward and punt it, you know, 
or you know, being able to roll the ball out and play it with my feet that way more accurately than just drop kicking the ball or whatever else. Those are things that Andy wanted us doing all sure. the time. So short, you know, I just short goal kicks. Like those are things that we constantly did that other teams just would never well, do did uh, until we finally got to an older or you know more advanced stage and like the game kind of caught up to what we were doing a little more. I feel well. Than I'm not so else. sure it has. Well, you know the the. There are lots of teams that will keep possession at the back, but we wanted to break the line within a second or two, mm-hmm. you know, out of the back. So we weren't playing the ball backwards and sideways. You know, you would distribute it to the player that had the best possible potential to break out of defense. Mm-hmm. And of course, when you were 10, 11, 12, we got punished and we lost games because, you know, we were trying to break that line quickly all the time. But we never, ever chickened out. We never went back to playing it safe out of the back and playing this possession game like England does these days when they play. You know, and so we broke the line within a couple of seconds time and again. And often when we didn't break the line, we lost the ball and got punished for it. But that was great for you as a goalkeeper because a lot of times when you were 10, 11, 12, 13... You know, you'd give the ball quickly and, you know, one of our defenders would lose the ball and you'd have to make a save then. Yeah. You know, so you were involved in the game a lot when you were younger. But eventually it got to the point where we would rarely, if ever, give up the ball breaking out of defensive lines because we had, you know, four or five players back there, you know, you and four defenders. And the other team had at most three forwards that were trying to stop us. Yeah, and we had, you know, through our club at least, we were really fortunate to have a lot of continuity. I mean, we had guys that had been playing together, like Grant and Chad in the middle, played together for yes. most of their lives. So right. it's just like they were, you know, like my, my high school buddies, Brett Lentz and, oh, we and had Grant, Brian we Wallace, had Chad. they played together for their Udinese club, like all growing up, they, they grew up a couple blocks away from each other and they played in the middle of our Shawnee Mission East team and they were definitely the strongest part of our team probably because of it. Uh, I think that, you know, we were just blessed with the fact that we were able to keep kids on the same club for such a long period of time. And, you know, some did go and we, we ended up actually pulling on kids that were probably a little better than the ones we had before. Athletically, but not, not skill-wise. Yeah, absolutely. And then, yeah. then they had to kind of fold themselves in a little bit to what we were doing because they were coming from uh, something completely different. And Mark Shaver is like a great example of a guy who, you know, a wonderful tackler, read the game incredibly well, but wasn't as comfortable playing out of the back, wasn't as comfortable right. doing a lot of the things that we were very comfortable doing. Uh, but he got there and we wanted that, you know, we almost won a national championship because of it right and i wanted to read this as well because and this is vitally important that people recognize this most programs focus on the field players and neglect the goalkeeper the legends program is the only one that consistently challenges the goalkeeper to perform at levels of pressure many times greater than the game situation as an integral component of practice with the best diving reaction one-on-one ability and foot skills our keepers stand out from the host of other goalkeepers whose skills in these crucial areas have not been honed by years of specific focus on making the big saves and plays that win games. Well, although that sounds really self-congratulatory, that is true. Uh, it <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's very true. I'm I mean, not here to make friends. I, I'm, well, I'm here to get you know, coaches and clubs and people all over this world to start doing the right things for goalkeepers. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's not about whether people like me or not. I don't give a fig. It's the other F word, fig. You understand? Yes. All right? and, no, and I'm saying explain. that. I am, 
<laughs> Can you spell it? Probably. I mean, take him a few minutes. You know, uh, but <laughs> <laughs> ultimately, <laughs> he cannot remember. <laughs> you done now? <laughs> never. If never. another one comes, is it ever done? Yeah. <laughs> Sympathy. Yeah, you should have brought me on here. I'm going to give these guys as much ammo as they can get. But, you know, ultimately, it's about the kids. And, you know, a lot of coaches, you know, they're not focused on the kids. They're focused on their own need to win the game. Yeah. You know, and what we've got to do is we've got to get away from our need as coaches, our ego, in order to get a great win-loss record. And you know what's funny is because I did not focus on my you know, win-loss record when I brought you on board and, and you know, all the kids I coached when they were you know, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, we ended up when we were 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, winning like crazy. Mm. You know, and, you know, National Indoor Championship going to Final Fours. You and other teams in the club went to the Final Four outdoors when there weren't all these other options. There was only one National Championship, you know, and it was because we did the right things for the individual, both physiologically, psychologically, technically, tactically. Everything we did was immense pressure. Yeah. And not only built unbelievable skills, goalkeeping skills, field skills, it built unbelievable psychological toughness for life yeah absolutely well and on top of that i think there's you know obviously you had to make the team so it's it's not like anybody and everybody but once you were on that team in the early years like you never gave up on anybody like everybody played everybody and we changed positions frequently you know so it was kind of like well you've never played here well let's try that let's just see what happens i mean there are kids that you know i couldn't being an ultra competitive 10 year old could see on the field i couldn't stand it you know but by the time we were 15 or 16 these guys were integral parts of our team and if we had given up on these guys they wouldn't be there uh to be some of the guys who what they because i mean not everybody develops at the same rate i mean you guys know this stuff i mean there's everybody's every instance is a little bit different so i mean i'm sitting next to a professional soccer player didn't play organized sports till he was 18 you know i mean that's that's crazy you know, every every everybody's going to have a, a little bit different of a formula. That said, I think the, the basics of the pushing the creative, the creativity, the attacking are huge aspects of the game that I see on uh, our national team level is severely lacking. Yeah. And it's incredibly difficult to watch because of it. Uh, and it's just really tactics over everything else it seems to really drive things. Uh, and for me, it just uh, it's. We're shortchanging our future in, in search of better results, but not instead of building a better team. And that's, and, you know, that's how you wind up missing the World Cup, is doing stupid crap like that. And for me, it's just baffling to see so many coaches on Facebook, on other social media, trying to say that, that they would somehow coach the team out of this situation. Yeah, yeah. It's like, how ego-driven are you guys? Well, you can't make chicken salad out of chicken. How, how do you spell that word, Andy? Yeah, it's, that's a... Chicken figs? Yeah, chicken, chicken figs. figs. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's just baffling to me to sit there and think that, like, oh, you know, Jurgen Klinsmann was the problem, or maybe it's Bruce Arena, or whatever else, when it's like, well, there's clearly some problems with the guys on the pitch who just aren't really to the level that we need them to be when they're at this age. Mm, and our yeah. a reluctance to play the young guys, too, just kills me. I mean, how many years did we go through, you know, I mean, 
Tab Ramos was an amazing player, but he hit a limit. Jeff Agus had a, a few great years, but he really shouldn't have been playing. Well, for fantastic the last, finish like, in the 2002 World years. Cup, though. Fantastic finish. Right. The, I mean, just uh, wrong goal, but fantastic <laughs> yes, finish. I mean, it's these these are the types of things that were just maddening to me as coming up and watching these guys were you know guys that were clearly kind of drilled into an old school American style of soccer. Sure. No and offense if the U.S. thinks that they missed the World Cup because of tactics. I mean, no offense to Guatemala, El Salvador, Trinidad, Tobago, Trinidad, Tobago Jamaica, but you don't need tactics to win against those teams. You need better players. I mean, you need skillful players. You know, you are the country with the most advanced tactics in soccer in your region, like all you need, and we is should be better playing players. like it. Exactly, you shouldn't you have don't. to go on the road and make concessions when you're playing Guatemala. You should, you know, I mean, you should be dictating the game at all times. Right, and that's just, you know, I I don't think Brazil ever goes into a game thinking, oh, we'll just drop another guy in defense here. And how many World Cups? Five. Only five? That's it. Only five. I mean, yeah. if I was coaching that team, they'd have six at least. <laughs> so, I mean, it, and not to mention, I mean, when was the last time Brazil didn't make it outside of group play? You know, that's an incredibly Never. difficult Never. tournament. Never. Oh, wow. So that's an incredibly difficult tournament to win. I mean, just, just getting out of these death groups and simple things like that can be astonishingly hard. I mean, I, I don't know what else it takes for the rest of the world to get it. Yeah. There's, there's another That's what thing. we're trying here. I uh, know. <laughs> there's, there's one more thing that we haven't really discussed as far as goalkeepers go, and that's the injury factor. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, a lot of people um, look at what our goalkeepers are subjected to, you know, parents especially, and it frightens them to see their little Johnny or little Susie facing the bullets. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's kind of similar to the parent looking at the field player and seeing 20 kids doing one-on-ones, you know, and seeing just this crazy bats-in-a-cave environment, you know, where it looks as though their kid is at risk of serious injury. And the opposite is absolutely the case. Because, and it's the Simone Biles factor. Simone Biles has the most incredible physiology not because she was born with incredible fast twitch muscle uh, structure all over her body and you know it just you know just just a natural thing she developed those muscles over years and years of pushing her body to the ragged edge so she became unbelievably resilient to injury the amount of torque she puts her joints through doing the incredible move she does is off of the charts. I mean, what the kids, I mean, I got two kids. They're like rubber. <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously. When like, they're how young. They get, you know what I mean? And the recovery time is amazing. Right. Like, I, I, it just seems to me like if you're going to get hurt, I mean, you may as well do it now instead of when you're 40 like me and it's going to, you know, twist an ankle and you'll be done for two months. And the, the studies have shown that if you get kids really fit by the time they get to the ACL you know, tearing age, yeah. 
You know, girls, when they go through the growth spurt, it's when they start tearing ACLs. But if they've been involved in doing something that's really, really challenging, that has built their muscle strength, yep. you know, they are so much less risk when they get to the, you know, the high-risk ages for as they're going upwards quickly, you know, and they don't have the cross-sectional muscle strength. If they have developed extreme strength like a Simone Biles up until that point, the chances of those soft tissue injuries mm-hmm. are vastly diminished. And, you know, we're in a kind of an interesting age where kids do not do as much physical activity as they should. Mm-hmm. You know, and even when we do physical activity, like we've been discussing with goalkeeping, we don't put our kids through the mill like you were put through the mill in our program. And it's fun. It's massive activity. Yes, it's a little dangerous, but, you know, about the worst thing I've seen with a keeper of mine is a broken finger. Yep. You know, and so, you know, there's nothing been, you know, as far as I know, permanent in terms of any sort of bad injury. You know, there's, you know, in, inevitably there's going to be some injuries. You build the ability and the resilience, both physically and mentally, to play at a whole different level in the game of soccer and dare I say it, because of the game of soccer in the game of life. Mm-hmm. And that's something that a lot of parents don't really think about and they don't really consider. You know, and the kid is having fun while they're doing it. Yeah, I think, you know, I was always, I'm a normal human being. I've got... Oh, you're kidding me. I swear. <laughs> I've got self-doubt and, you know, I mean, but when you get and, you know, you got your own problems and lack of self-confidence at times all sorts of things that are you know largely built up in our heads sometimes even and you know for me getting out on the field was like a chance to be somebody else who was unable to make mistakes who was going to stop everything that comes at him who could be somebody who is impossible to be and that's who I got to be for 90 minutes when I get out on the field is that I don't have to be the normal person that I truly am, but instead I get to be this idealized person that I've built myself to be through these training sessions, giving myself the confidence. I mean, if you're, if you're when walk out to the pitch and you're going to look across and you're going to get a little scared, then you may as well just walk off. Which it's, was the problem I over. had that first brass practice. It's I over. <laughs> the game is over before it starts. All right. Like that is if you look across that guy and you look him in the eye and you say, I'm going to make your life hell all day long. You're going to have a great day because you got the mindset right. You yep. shouldn't but be you afraid. Can only do that, that guy should be afraid of you. You can work. only do that if you've put in the work and yeah. you've done the right things over the years. And that's one of the things that, uh, you know, I wrote my second book about leadership, you know, as a result of what we do as a Legends Club. And we build brave, creative leaders because we put kids through the ringer in a real fun way, you know, but, you know, the intensity they build in this program, the focus, the ability to take a lick in and keep on ticking, you know, the intelligence, the skill, the resilience, the, you know, the, the long-term effects of what we do. And this is, you know, you're a fine example, you know, and, uh, and, but there are many more like you, you know, and you've built two successful you know, bars, restaurants, and, you know, anybody that knows anything about business knows there's more failures in the restaurant industry than any other industry, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so what you've done is, is inc- incredibly difficult to do, you know, and you did the second one in the middle of a pandemic, you know, which is a uh, huge respect, Bo, you know, because instead of saying, I'm going to sh- just shut down and, and circle the wagons, you said, no, I'm just going to still go for it. 
and I'm going to make this happen, even in the face of all of these restrictions that you probably more than most people were facing at the time. And I think that's a huge benefit of the legends philosophy is you develop that mental toughness, that ability to believe in yourself and never say die and never quit mm -hmm. and keep on plugging and pushing, but in a really creative way, mm -hmm. in a, a really controlled, aggressive way that is very beneficial for obviously you, your family, but also the rest of society. And I think that's incredibly important. Yeah. I mean, to be perfectly honest, when I walk out there and I look across the field and I think I'm just going to own these guys, I really had no business thinking that. You know, I was really lying to myself. And I think that's, you know, for me, sports psychology is kind of a fascinating thing. And the ability to lie to yourself is actually a really good thing in certain aspects. And, and believe the lie you're telling yourself. Absolutely. Well, there's an old saying, fake it till you make it. Oh, there's, there's and, a and really there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, well, know. I know you guys love the studies and everything else. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to throw one out there that I heard on NPR of, of all places. But they were talking about, you know, actually talking about swimmers because it's a perfect, you know, uh, well, it's a nice control group because you're all in the same pool. It's a timed event. It's not like there's not a lot of unknowns that are thrown into the mix, right? But they would ask these swimmers on these on these teams uh, a certain range of uncomfortable questions that basically the, the researchers had decided that everybody has these thoughts, but, you know, whether or not they'll admit to them or whatever is part of the study, right? <clears throat> So it turns out that the best guys on the team happened to be the ones who were lying to themselves about whether or not they would have like a bowel movement they enjoyed. Like it was weird questions, you know, and they're like, oh, no, you know, and it's like, OK, well, the guys who kept lying about all those questions happened to be the ones that were winning all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's weird. It was their, their ability to convince themselves that, you know, and they talked about it like. They're like, well, tell, take us through your pre-race pre, uh, routine. And a lot of it is just building yourself up, building that belief up, knowing that you're going to go out there and win is a huge part of a lot of the, the ones, the most successful guys are building that sort of inner confidence as, and to be honest, it, it doesn't have to be well-founded. It can just literally be completely out of left field. Just believing in yourself no, goes. So sure. It goes a long way, though. It I, really does. I think you. You know, it, I don't think you know for a soccer player, and this is my expertise. I don't think you can build yourself up unless you've done the work. You know, and our players do the work in tight circumstances. You know, they have to do that grind, that creative, brave. You know, uh, skillful. You know, but there's a lot of grind, there's a lot of sweat, there's a lot of blood, sweat and tears involved in it. And, you know, without that work, then I think it's a house of cards, you know, and I think at any point in time, somebody can bring you down. But if you've done the work, then you can walk tall. You know? Oh, absolutely. I'm, my thing is, if you want to recreate that moment over and over and over again, you better put in the work. If you want to have that moment, uh, embracing sure. that attitude is a good way to have one of those moments. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Being able to repeat it, it takes something uh, far more than just that. But self-belief is an amazing thing. And it's something that I see all the time in my business with dealing with people who are, you know, uh, come from vastly different backgrounds. Ladies, a lot of times, uh, you know, really get in a male-dominated environment that I work in. Uh, the misogyny is rampant and it's really ugly and it really starts to work on their self-esteem and the way they look at themselves and the way they look at their own work, the way they value themselves and their work, right? And those types of things really can hold people back. 
it's amazing how much just the, that self-belief and reinforcing that. And I think, you know, Andy really sticking with everybody through those formative years, even the guys that were struggling and really putting them out on the field anyway, knowing that we were going to play everybody up to a certain point, obviously. But nonetheless, it was, uh, it was one of those things that really instilled a belief in yourself because this guy seemed to have an undying belief in you. And, yeah. and, and I'm glad you brought up the uh, the misogyny thing, you know, and, and the, the the sexism because we're about to do an episode that's going to be highly it's focused. Fantastic segue to the next episode. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I think we've probably run our course today. We have, and I have training that starts in two minutes. Okay, so <laughs> we're going to have to wrap it up. The kids so, got this, uh, <laughs> Andrew. I'll I'll leave it to you to do the exit. Yeah, uh, exit. Hey, Bo, thank you for coming. Um, My pleasure. Um, I, I, I must say that the 38-year-old version of myself wasn't as intimidated as he was <laughs> the first time we had an encounter, uh, but uh, this was fantastic. Really appreciate you coming on, shedding some light, not only on a position that we're not as familiar with, um, certainly from an experience, experience, experience perspective, but also just life in general. It's, it's been good. So, Bo, we appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure, guys. Thank you, Bo. Hey, see you. See ya.